Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll just start here. I'm going to warn you now, um, if you think I've stuffed a lot of passages and past sermons, I think this one's going to take the cake. So uh, hopefully we'll still have A&I time today, today. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have a lot of a lot of passages this morning. So uh, that's probably a good thing. That means you'll hear more from God's word than you will hear from mine. So that's always a good thing. Um, <clears throat> but as you know, we're, we're coming to a close here with our Advent series, Season of Grace, uh, this morning. Uh, next week, we'll be celebrating the birth of Christ. So it won't be Advent anymore. We're, we're not looking forward to that celebration, but uh, I don't really know what the actual topic is going to be because this is the last uh, message in our series <laughs> that we planned out. So uh, hopefully for those of, the, of you who are here next week, um, I know it'll be, it'll be a good time of rejoicing and song as well as uh, worshiping through, through listening. I think, uh, is Andy still planning on preaching? All right, cool. Um, but yeah, so we've looked at several different aspects of grace. And, and I know sometimes some of the different sermons may have sounded very similar, um, a, lot of, a lot of very similar content, but I hope that as we've looked at these different uh, facets of grace, these different ways of understanding or seeing grace through Jesus Christ coming to earth, that it has been a blessing to you. We've seen um, six, I think, six or seven different aspects of grace so far. The first one uh, that we saw was grace through disobedience as we looked at Christ, our Redeemer, Man has fallen and in his fallen state needs to be redeemed. And so Christ is the one that God promises would one day crush the serpent's head by giving his life uh, for us, a ransom for us, that he would be our redeemer. Then we looked at grace through the law as we saw that God's law was, was given to us as a grace. It was given to us as a way to lead us to Christ himself, as, who is uh, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Then we saw grace through prophecy as we looked at the, the desire for the coming Messiah, the, the anointed one, the promised one who would come and, and rescue Israel and, and also us who have believed in the Messiah. We've seen grace through the incarnation as we looked at Emmanuel, God becoming man, fully God, yet fully man, and, and the ramifications of that reality. We've seen grace through humility as we looked at Christ as man humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and as man was our brother, our perfect substitute and our perfect example that we can follow. And then finally, we've seen grace through purpose as we looked at Christ and the purpose that God had for him was not simply to be a, a cute baby in a manger with a halo, as is often depicted. I don't Personally, I think he probably had a halo um, walking around. But he wasn't just born to be a baby. He was born to be a savior. The savior, not just of the Israelites, but the savior of the world from sin. This morning, we're going to look at grace through peace. As we look at Christ as the Prince of Peace. We see that phrase, Prince of Peace, in Isaiah chapter number 9, verse 6, one that's Verse probably very familiar with you. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we'll look at this idea of the Prince of Peace this morning and and what all that entails for us as Christ is the Prince of Peace. The big idea this morning, hopefully a little bit shorter, is this. Because of the Prince of Peace, we can have peace with God and others both now and for all eternity. Because of the Prince of Peace, we can have peace with God and others both now and for all eternity. The passage that was read just a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 1 is a passage of a man named Zechariah. And you may or may not remember who Zechariah is. Uh, This is coming right before the famous passage that many of you probably have memorized uh, in Luke chapter 2. How many of you have memorized Luke chapter 2 before in some version? A few of you, man, it's, the numbers are getting low. We need to start pumping that a little bit more, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I know when I was a kid, we, you know, that was one of the big things at Christmas time. You memorize Luke chapter 2, and, and, uh, and you, you had to stand up in front of your family, or worse yet, in front of the church, and, and say Luke chapter 2, and it was a little uh, scary sometimes. So many of you at least are familiar with Luke chapter 2, the kind of what we, what we look at as the Christmas story uh, in in the Bible. I think that's where most of us would go if we said, you know, where's the, where's the Christmas story? But really, this is a passage right before Luke chapter 2, here in Luke chapter 1. And it's the story um, of Zechariah. It's the story of John the Baptist. So Zechariah was the husband of Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. They were both uh, up there in age, and uh, she was past bearing, childbearing years, and yet God intervened and told them that they were going to have a son. And in fact, um, when he did that, he actually shut uh, Zechariah's mouth. He, wasn't, he was, became mute. He was no longer allowed to speak, could not speak, um, until the baby was born. Um, and uh, you can go back and, and read that, and I encourage you to do it. But, but John the Baptist has just been born in this passage, and, and now his tongue has been loosed. And he, and he gives out this prophecy that we read earlier. And as I was looking at a lot of the different passages talking about peace uh, in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, I was drawn to this um, partially because of the content and partially because of the location, uh, because it is there right in that same context, really scripturally, of the account of Jesus' birth. It's right there in that context of the Christmas story. And it's interesting when we read what Zechariah has to say here, Starting in verse 76, obviously he's talking about his son, um, John the the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. Um, He's talking about this man who's going to prepare the way of Jesus Christ. He's going to to go out and he's going to preach. He's going to be a little weird. Uh, People are going to, you know, probably go out a little bit for the show as well as the message. But he's going to go out and he's going to proclaim that people need to repent because the kingdom of God is coming. The one who was promised is coming and that is going to be his ministry. He's going to to give his life uh, for that ministry, that call to repentance. But Zechariah is is giving kind of a, a, a prophecy in a sense here as he's talking to his son and about his son, John. And starting in verse number 76, it says this, And you, child, speaking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want to focus in on that last uh, phrase there. It's talking about Christ. It says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high, speaking of Christ. And he will come to give light to those who sit in darkness and the sh- in the shadow of death, for one thing, to guide our feet into the path, or into the way of peace. What does it mean that Christ is going to guide us into the way of peace? I want to evaluate that this morning as we look at a lot of different passages of Scripture and we see how Scripture describes Christ leading us into this path of peace. There's three ways that I, that I see this. The first way is that we have peace, peace through Christ. That sounds very simple, right? We have peace through Christ. Um, most of those words are going to be the same in the next two as well. Just the middle word is going to change a little bit in the next two uh, points here. But the first one is that we have peace through Christ. I call this positional peace. Positional peace. What do I mean by that? Well, in order for us to understand the peace that we have in Christ or through Christ, I should say, we have to understand where we are before Christ. And again, we, we've gone back to this well over and over and over again in these, in these sermons talking about this season of grace, but you can't talk about grace without talking about why grace is necessary. And so as we look at this reality of Christ as the Prince of Peace, the one who is going to lead us, guide us to the path of peace or the way of peace, we need to understand why we need peace. Why we need peace. You may be here this morning and think, well, I know why we need peace, right? There's, there's wars going on. We're, we all you know, pray for uh, Ukraine and, and pray that, that that would subside soon and quickly. And, and there's other wars going on throughout the world. And there's going to be more that pop up later. We all, we all desire peace, right? Especially at Christmas time. We hear you have all the Christmas songs singing about peace on earth. And, and that's not even just in the Christian Christmas songs, right? That's in the secular Christmas songs. There's a desire for peace. But there's a, a specific kind of peace that all of us need. It's not the peace that we seek here politically on earth, whether it be in the United States or whether it be around the world. It's, it's a very specific kind of peace. When we talk about Christianity, a lot of times we use this phrase that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, right? And we use that phrase to, to make a distinction that, that it's not about our works and what we, have, what we are doing to, to try to earn merit with God, but rather it's about having a relationship with God. But we need to be careful when we say that phrase that we understand that everyone in the world has a relationship with God. See, Christianity is being brought into a right relationship with God. So the reality is before we come to Christ, we, are, we have a relationship with God, and that is as his enemy. That is as his rebellious creation. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. God describes us prior to Christ as enemies of God. James chapter 4, not too long ago, we were in the book of James, says this, you adulterous people, obviously he's talking to uh, believers here. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why would we be an enemy of God if we're seeking to be, to be part of the world? Because the world is the enemy of God. They are against God, and, and we were very much the same before Christ. See, we have to understand that there is a reason why peace is necessary. We are enemies. We are at war with God. We look at the wars going on around us, and we, we desire for peace, and we see there's conflict there. There's problems there. And that is the reality for us spiritually with God. If we are not in Christ, we are at war with God. We are enemies of God. Why? Romans 1 helps us understand a little bit more why it is that we are enemies with God. Verse 21 through 25 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's why we're at war with God. That's why we're enemies of God, because we have... We have ignored, we have set aside the truth about God so that we can worship ourselves. We worship ourselves. We worship our desires. We worship the things that we want. We worship our own pride, our own arrogance. We worship that above God. And in doing so, we have set ourselves up as the idols and we have set the God of the universe aside and we have become his enemy. Are you thankful for Christ this morning? Because it is through Christ that we can have peace with God. Guess what? God's going to win the battle. God's going to win the war. Satan's not going to win. We're not going to win. God's going to win. And if we are here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, if you are, do not belong to Christ, if you've not experienced peace through Christ and what he has done for you and his, his death and his burial and his resurrection, then you will not win. God is going to win. And those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ will also win. Will win because we have peace with him. Romans 5.1 was already mentioned earlier. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Are you grateful for that peace this morning? The most important peace we could ever pursue is peace positionally with God. To no longer be the enemies of God, but rather to be the sons of God. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, but what is, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? That was our state. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Are you grateful for that this morning? Jesus Christ, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, has given to us the opportunity for peace with God. The ultimate peace. Through Christ, we have peace with God positionally, but, but there's more to that. It goes, it goes even further than just this positional peace with Christ or peace with God through Christ. And that is that we have peace in Christ. Peace in Christ. I call this personal peace. I really wanted to use peas for the, this, this is why I've got two points for each one. This is personal peace. Peace in Christ. Yes, we have peace with God positionally, theologically. We understand we're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer fighting against God. We are now adopted sons and daughters of God. But with that positional peace also comes this personal peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. I see this personal peace in, uh, in three different ways. The first way that I see it is internal peace. Internal peace. This is something really that I think the world most often is looking for. They're looking for global peace and they're looking for internal peace. And the reality is that that only comes through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 verses 25 through 27 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He's in the, the upper room. This is the Passover. This is the last supper that Christ is having with his disciples. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Later on in that same 
meeting in chapter 16, verse 32, he says this, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, in Christ, we can have an internal peace. When the world is going against us, when the world is, is doing everything that we really should expect the world to do, when it's attacking believers, when it's just going more and more after sin and praising sin and calling it good, we can have peace. Because we know the one who has overcome the world. I love how he says, my peace I give to you. We can have perfect peace in the times of trial and tribulation as believers in Christ. Not because we don't care. Not because we're only focused on ourselves, but because we know the one who holds all things in his hands. We know the one who has overcome the world. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 16 says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Often in Paul's letters, Paul would pray for peace. He would would open his letters oftentimes with with a statement of of kind of a prayer as well as a statement of, of grace and peace. To you, he, he would often say something like, grace to you and, and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back and read through his epistle. Like almost every epistle start, has that phrase in there somewhere or something very similar, right? Paul, Paul was very concerned that they understood that peace in their hearts comes from Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that he prayed for constantly for the churches that they would have peace. We can have peace in the midst of trial and struggle and heartache when things are not going the way that we want them to go. We can have peace. We can rest in the knowledge that we serve a sovereign God. And as Romans 8 tells us, he's working all things for our good for his glory. We can have peace in Christ internally. Not only can we have peace in Christ internally, but we can have peace in Christ externally. You knew that was coming, right? Internally and externally. We can be known as peaceful people. Can I just be honest with you? There are a lot of people who name the name of Christ who are not peaceful people. All you have to do is get on social media to see that. There are a lot of people who name the name of Christ who are not peaceful people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't stand for truth. We obviously stand for truth. We're called to stand for truth. But we're also called to speak the truth in love with grace. And it can be very easy, especially as we we interact with those that we know are are teaching things that are false, that are 
are going down the wrong path, it can be very easy for us to to speak from a, a place of judgmentalism, to speak from a place of harshness, to even attack what we know is, is wrong. But God desires for us to be people who are known as peacemakers. People who are peaceful people. In fact, peace is one of the external evidences of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, we see, first of all, the the outward evidence of, of those who are living in the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. These are, these are external things. These are clear things, right? Sexual immorality, pu- impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's an outward clarity of wickedness. And then he goes into this. but. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Peace. Peace is in Christ because it is a working of the Holy Spirit. As others look at us, do they see a peaceful person? Do they see someone who is well, like was said earlier, who is enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That's not peaceful. Is that what they see from us as believers? Or do they see people who are firm on Scripture but are peaceful people? That is an evidence of the Holy Spirit working within us that we are people of peace, external peace. James chapter 3. Verses 13 through 18 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Think about that phrase. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable. Pure, then peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Are you known as a person who makes peace this morning? Children, in your home, with your siblings, are you known as a person who makes peace? If you're not, why not? External peace is an evidence of Christ working in us through the Holy Spirit. So we have peace in Christ, both internally and externally. What else is there, right? Thirdly, we have peace in Christ interpersonally. Interpersonally. 
specifically within the body of Christ. Romans 14, 13 through 19 says this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you, will, you are no longer walking in love. But what you, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Paul's desire in the midst of this contradiction in Romans 14, the mix of this struggle between those who believe that, that meat is, is unclean if it's offered to idols and those who believe that it's, it's okay. And what is his main point? His main point is be at peace. Be at peace. Build one another up. Love one another. Because the one who serves Christ like that is acceptable. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We've quoted very often. Probably have Eric stand up and quote it for us. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 11 through 15. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is, has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Are you getting the point? Are you getting the desire that Christ has for his church? That we are to be people who are peaceful people. Yes, internally as we, we rest in the sovereignty and the power of Christ who has overcome the world. Yes, externally as we, as we seek to be peacemakers among others and, and with ourselves. But interpersonally in the body of Christ, are we seeking to live at peace. Are all those different things that it gives us in those passages. And humility and meekness and love and kindness and patience. Those are all ways that we live in peace. Within the body of Christ. It's not just a hope and a dream. That Paul has for the church. It's a command. It's a command for us to live in peace. And we can only do that. Through the power of Christ. 
Not only do we have peace through Christ and peace in Christ, but we have peace with Christ. Peace with Christ. This is what I call perpetual peace. Perpetual peace. We have positional peace, personal peace, and perpetual peace. What am I talking about? One day, we are all going to stand before the creator of the universe. And earlier we talked about the fact that without Christ, we are the enemies of God. And you will either stand before God as his enemy, or you will stand before God as his son and daughter. And the judgment that will be given will be very different depending on whether you are an enemy of God or you are a son of God. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us some insight into this reality. Starting in verse 31, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, it's talking about Himself, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, and He will place the goats on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did, he, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's only two ends. There's an end for the enemies of God and an end for the sons of God. Revelation chapter 20. This is the prophecy of the, the end times. Gives us another glimpse of this reality. Starting in verse 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, 
according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a very dark and painful and eternal reality for those who reject Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for Romans 8.1? Andy quoted it earlier. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ this morning, you will not face that punishment forever and ever and ever because Christ paid the price on the cross of Calvary. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas time. Not because he's a cute baby in a manger and it's a funny story that he, you know, had to be born in a stall. We celebrate because he is our Redeemer, he is our Savior. He is our perfect sacrificial lamb. He is our brother. He is God with us. <clears throat> and because of him and his sacrifice for us on the cross, we can have peace with God. Not just now, positionally, theologically, not just internally, but we can have peace with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. John 14. A little bit earlier than what we read before. Jesus said this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so I would have told you. If it were not so would I have told you. That I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Peace with Christ. That where I am, you may be also. A little bit later in Revelation, we read these verses in chapter 21. John, who's getting this vision from the Lord, says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Note this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Are you looking forward to that day? Perfect peace. No more sin. No more 
temptation, no more desire to sin, no more pain, no more struggle. New bodies. Forever with the Lord. Jesus, this baby in a manger that we celebrate has come to bring us peace. We have peace through Christ. No longer as enemies, but as sons and daughters of God. We have peace in Christ. The ability to, to live in peace internally, externally, interpersonally. And we will have peace with Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. I think David summed it up very well in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that your reality this morning? If not, it can be. It can be. You can have peace with God this morning if you do not already. By simply coming by faith, turning away from seeking after your own desires, repenting of, of the life that you have lived, and seeking to follow after Christ, believing that He is who He said that He is. That He came to earth as we celebrate on Christmas as a little baby, that He grew, that He lived a perfect life. Never once sinning so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. He would give his life on the cross. That he would die and he would be buried and he would rise again. To pay the penalty of your sin. To pay the penalty of my sin. You can have peace with God today. And today... Maybe you, you have peace with God positionally, but you're not living in it. Maybe you've set aside that peace because you're pursuing other things. Whether it's worry and anxiety internally, or maybe it's just pursuing other things instead of pursuing being a peaceful person. Lay it at the foot of the cross this morning. Come back to the Prince of Peace and let him guide you into the way of peace. Father, we thank you. For Christ, Lord, we thank you. For this title, the Prince of Peace. Showing his rule and reign as a prince, but also showing this reality of peace that we have because of him. Lord, we thank you so much for the peace that we have with you because of Christ. Nothing that we could earn, nothing that we could muster of our own strength to, to 
hold up a white flag or to, to create terms of ours that you would have to meet for peace, but rather, God, you have met your own terms for peace in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that this morning. That because you loved us, you sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know that peace, that they would know it today. That they would see their need of a Savior from their sins. That they would turn from their selfish ways and turn to Christ. And that He would heal them. That He would redeem them. That He would save them. That they would believe in who He is and what He has done. That they would believe in You. Lord, may we even rejoice in a new birth this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.